When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, everybody. It's Reese Porter here, and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And thank you very much to our brilliant star announcer, Reese Porter, for introducing the podcast today. What an absolute legend. Thank you so much for doing that. And on the pod, we're going to be discussing Fulham's one-all draw at Bristol City as Fulham made it three games in the last four in the league without a win. Is the ship off course? It certainly seems so. It needs a good captain to get it back into the straight and narrow. And here to discuss yesterday's point at Bristol City is Mr. Nathan Martin. Hello. Hello. Ben Jarman. Hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. And Dan Cook. Hello, hello, Sammy. Nathan, um, are you a smug American today? Because uh, your continent, your your nation, your compatriots are, are doing fairly well in the golf. We are. Um, I was told I wasn't allowed to talk about it. I did enjoy. I'm not really. I have to be honest. Like Jarmans and I were talking about the boxing last night, and neither one of us know that much. I don't know that much about the golf, but I'm glad to see you know the red, white, and blue doing their thing. And I really enjoyed seeing that guy just absolutely thwack it. it was a 400 plus yard drive down the down the fairway. And so whenever you know, in the proud tradition of uh, whatever the Adam Sandler movie is, and Shooter McGavin, and all the rest of that. We just believe in going long all the time. So glad to see the red, white, and blue doing their thing. It, it was very, uh, I think it was Bryson DeChambeau, wasn't it? It, it was, was very <laughs> happy Gilmore. It was like, very happy Gilmore. <laughs> if I hit my drive half that far, I'm really happy. So it just um, puts into context. One more thing I want to ask you, Nathan, just on the golf. Has there been a memo change in how you guys say USA, USA? Because every time I've heard it at the Ryder Cup, it seems to be kind of some kind of like slower, like USA. And I just I wondered know, if maybe like Biden, if this is a new administration thing, has um, has changed <laughs> has changed how you chant USA. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they got to they, they make sure Biden can keep up with it. I mean, he's a little bit, you know, slower on that sort of thing. So we just want to make sure that we don't leave the president behind. So no, I, I have no idea. I have no idea if there's been a, a change in a, you know, I'm about to go back to the US for the first time in two years, effectively uh, next month. So I will ask people on the ground to report back to you if, if I missed the American memo on that side of things. Okay, maybe it's because you're in the UK. That's why you missed the memo. If you were in the States, <laughs> you definitely would have got the, the national address that clearly uh, came forward. Okay, let's get some three-word reviews from yesterday's game. Uh, Dan, you were taking a look through them. What came through? Yeah, started off with uh, Twitter. We uh, had Bar Novar from uh, FFC South Devon uh, referring to us hitting the bar three times and then Bristol City's offside equaliser. Um, very good. From our very own AF, we had uh, 
ship refueling paused as we uh, yeah as we've we've docked a little bit just to uh, refuel on the HMS. If you can get it at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very right. smug with my electric car over here. So oh, there we go. Oh, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's switched off now after hearing that. <laughs> um, we had Zachary Luca with Ultimate Crossbar Challenge. Um, over on Instagram, we had Jay Lazerk with West Country Woes. And finally, uh, a little bit tenuous potentially, but another Fulhamish contribution from Farrell Monk. We had Reese Porter's Blow Eye Army um, to round off our three word reviews. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Reese Porter's Blow Army. It certainly was yesterday. And um, gutted we didn't get the three points for Reese yesterday, but a, a brilliant moment for the celebration for the first goal. And, Jarms, let's come on to the game then. Um, ha- we were almost beyond words, weren't we, after the match yesterday? We just couldn't quite sum up what we'd seen and how Fulham had come away from a match with so many chances. It's twice in a week now where I just cannot fathom how Fulham haven't got more out of a game. Um, I wouldn't say we pummeled Bristol City, but we certainly did in the last 10 and it was a hard one to take. Yeah, it was definitely a hard one to take. I mean, I think you took it the hardest in the whole of the stadium because I had to remind you for the 45 minutes after the after the match that we didn't actually lose. Me and Sammy were queuing up for a burger afterwards and Sammy was about to do a tweet and he was like, I can't believe we've lost it. I had to tap him on the shoulder and be like, Sammy, you know we haven't lost this game. We're on. <laughs> Um, but actually, like in terms of in terms of the whole day, yes, it was lovely just to be back at an away game for the first time since Millwall, seeing so many like lovely faces. So I see like obviously Sam, I sat with Sammy and I sat with Jack, and I saw Charlie Cooper was there, Jeff Proust was there. I haven't seen Jeff in, in a very long time. Obviously, really nice to see Reese Porter there and the reception he got. Thomas Young as well was floating around in the crowd. So um, so many notable faces at that away day. It seemed really well attended but yeah I mean as a spectacle on the whole I think the game uh, Fulham we were creating chance after chance but I think that the balance was definitely off in the first half I think tactically I think uh, Silva got it wrong his selection was was wrong in the first half we had a midfield set up that was had too many similar type of players in there and we just weren't creating enough clear-cut chances. Uh, in the second half, when we brought on uh, Harrison Reed, uh, and uh, we, we seemed to readdress the balance there. And I thought Bobby Reed in the second half in the 10 was actually really, really good. I know we slightly disagreed on this, Sammy, after the game. You you weren't as as on board of it as I was, but I thought he was great. The impetus that he gave us going forward and, and the way he kept picking up pockets of space. And I thought that was really encouraging. Um, I, feel, I feel like about this Fulham team mentally we're starting to snatch at chances now because we realize how much how many chances sorry that we're starting to create and carve out for each other and we're just not putting them away I I feel like in any other game other than the one yesterday Mitrovic would have put that chance in the 80 90th minute away with his right foot there's no way on in any other situation he's going to take that with his left foot unless he's either not confident he's going to put it in the back of the net or we're starting to snatch at chances and it was just one of countless chances that I'm sure we'll come across in all the podcasts. One for Harry Wilson, one for Cavalero, a couple for Mitrovic, you know, hitting the bar a couple of times. It was just, it was rash from Fulham. And I wish that we would have just calmed down and just knew that that second goal would have come after the Bristol City equaliser. Nathan, what was your thoughts on the first half? As Ben kind of alluded to there, that the, the, the Chalaba-Onoma pairing in the middle 
didn't quite work. It was it was so effective, particularly um, Chalibur and, and Seri against against Birmingham um, about ten days ago. But yesterday it was just a bit stale, and Fulham were really not creating clear cut chances. I can only think of one clear cut chance in that first half, and that was the nice back hill from Wilson, which fell to Onoma, which was a fairly tame effort in the end. But it, yeah. it just wasn't clicking, even though some of the football was quite pretty at times. Yeah, it, it was a bit odd because I mean, I, I wasn't in the grounds uh, like you guys, uh, but watching it on on on, uh, <laughs> on the Bristol City stream, uh, which is a side note, have probably the worst set of commentators I think I've, I've ever heard in my life. Uh, like maybe it's an ex player. Or whatever, but just uh, yeah, yeah, just just really dire. I mean, even ESPN the Ocho wouldn't put that on on air. It was really <laughs> horrible. No um, gentleman, Jim. No gentleman, Jim. It was no gentleman, Jim. And maybe that's my my fault. But you know, the the reality is, is watching it on the stream. I, I I didn't think we looked quite as bad as maybe it felt in the ground. Like we we were controlling, you know, we were controlling the game. We weren't creating enough chances for for my liking. So I, I agree with Ben. But on, the, but on the other hand, you know, Bristol City had very, very little. I mean, whatever whatever sort of openings they had were because we fluffed our lines. I mean, that was kind of like the, the, the reality for most of the game. It wasn't that they were creating some beautiful, intricate play. It was the fact that we would, 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 would muddle something up. Um, and, and so I, so watching the first half, you know, I, I wanted to see us do better off that, that Harry Wilson back hill. Um, but we were sort of breaking down. And the only thing that was bothering me in that first half was – just a little bit, a lack of composure, the build-up play. Um, you know, maybe that's that's the problem of that that imbalance. Um, but it just seemed like we we were moving quickly, we were attacking, um, but it but it didn't seem quite as cohesive. And I think while last year we would get frustrated that we wouldn't just uh, you know ping the ball in for a cross in the box, this year we're maybe going to that a bit too quick. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, you would like to see some of those players of the weeks, uh, uh, you know, attack the def- defense rather than looking for that sort of early cross. And, uh, you know, that that's what happened in, in, in the second half. We did a bit uh, better on that side and, and good things opened up. One of the things I was really actually focusing on during that first half was our midfield trio and, and namely Onoma and Chalabar. Um, and I actually thought it started pretty well in the first sort of five or ten minutes. There was a couple of moments when Josh Onoma would drop in and it created a hell of a lot of space for Nathaniel Chalabar to get in behind. It's happened a couple of times. Just an easy ball straight through the middle, um, opened up by the space that Onomar was creating. But then after that, they sort of frustrated me off very, very little. And I don't actually think it was necessarily Silver's fault. I mean, you can debate about the selection, but tactically, I don't think they were doing what he wanted them to do. Um, he was furious at times in that first half. I was watching him at the fact that neither of them were offering for the ball they were both placed up very high in the channels along Bristol City's back four which meant that it was very difficult for Seri to make any sort of progressive passes up to them because they were so high up and he was screaming at them to just one of them at least drop in an offer um, and they didn't and I think that was one of our big problems is that we couldn't make any progression through the middle of the pitch during that first half everything had to go out wide because we just didn't have the options and I think that's why the reed Cabana substitution, which I'm sure we'll come into, made a big difference at halftime because Harrison Reed offered that a little bit more by dropping that little bit deeper. Yeah, when when Harrison Reed came on, Ben, it was it was chalk and cheese to the performance that we saw in the um, first half. The impetus was there, and it, it felt like a matter of time before Fulham did find the back of the net, and and ultimately it did only take four minutes. And there was chances before that. We just looked so fresh. Bristol City didn't know what to do when when Reed came on, and, and Gabano had his um, contributions to that as well. But it did really feel like Reed was the driving force behind that second half extra boost of energy. 
Yeah, Reed was the glue between the lines, I think you'd like to say. I think one thing about the first half, just to add to Dan's point, we were very, very compartmentalised. We were way too open in the middle of the pitch. There wasn't, wasn't enough sort of distance to get a cohesive passing patterns going and we were looked very, very, almost like we were chancing our arm quite a lot in the first half. The second half came on, it was, as you say, chalk and cheese. The, the balance was was resumed. Uh, we went to a sort of like flat, uh, double pivot there with with Seri and Reed. Reed being the more progressive, and I think that just gave Seri more room to operate. I think uh, um, his his intelligence on the ball is is really really understated at times, and I think that the way that he he passes it, shifts it, moves it, one two touches is everything you need to get through the thirds really quickly against a team that wanted just to set up and just try and nullify Fulham for long periods of time. Um, as you say, uh, then the introduction of Cabano and moving Bobby Reed into the middle allowed those passing lanes to become much smaller. Um, and I think you you see this today in a lot of modern football is that the shorter and snappier the passes are, the easier it is to move through the transition. And what I think that Bobby Reed and the way that he moved around was very similar to Fabio Carvalho. And I'm sure we'll t- touch on Fabio Carvalho later in the comments and in the questions at the end. But it is incredible how over-reliant we've become on someone who's only played less than 10 games for Fulham and that how much of a key cog he is in that number 10, especially in the transition with his pace, getting in the pockets, getting beyond Mitrovic. Because when you have Onoma and you have Chalabar, they're not going to get beyond Mitrovic. And if they do, they're probably not going to offer the same pace and they're definitely not going to offer the same instinctive strike that Carvalho has. But yeah, I think the introduction of Reed was great. Um, he's been someone that we've been desperately missing for a long time. And I think if you look at the midfield pairing of of Seri and Reed, that is that is a Premier League pairing. I mean, it might be bottom of the Premier League pairing, like bottom half. But if you if you said to someone like Southampton, based on their performance today, would you take Reed and Seri? I think they probably would. Uh, and I think you'd probably take it as well in a, in a lot of other teams. And we're lucky to have them. And I think that the more we get Reed back in the side and we find that missing link at number 10, which hopefully is Carvalho when he comes back, the more dangerous we'll become. Southampton really did have their opportunity to have Harrison Reed. Um, you know, I feel like yeah. uh, <laughs> they, if they want him back now, it's too late, lads. You can't do a Lukaku <laughs> on us. Um, Nathan, I, I felt like the only threat Bristol City offered was kind of crosses into the box and, and their long throws as well. Another long throws FC in the in the championship. Never saw Thomas Callas do that for us. Did not know that Thomas Callas had that in the locker, but that was how their best chance in the first half came. Naki Wells air kicked a a very very good chance and Fulham seemed to struggle a little bit with that aerial bombardment and I'm I'm a tad worried that we didn't deal with it a bit better and I guess you know we've been talking about Alfie Mawson and you know does he get in the team doesn't get does he not get in the team that is the one thing that I know that Alfie Mawson would deal with better can I can I also I don't know if anyone else listening felt the same way but I totally forgot that Chris Martin played for them and uh, so like particularly listening to Bristol City announcers the sort of hope and expectation when Martin would get the ball. Oh, here we go. Come on, son. Come on. And then the dying of those expectations and hope when Martin would do something stupid, was actually really satisfied with Schrodenfreud or, or whatever you might say. Um, but yeah, no no regret about seeing him. him it's just like, the- which Chris Martin would you rather have up front? <laughs> Fat Chris Martin or Chris Martin from Coldplay? Like, I think I'd rather have the guy from Coldplay. I think he probably would at least distract them and you know maybe something would open up in the, in the, in the side. Quicker. Yeah, and, but, but, but no, what does concern me, Sammy, and, and it was how they equalized was, you know, we are sort of just like if, if you just pelt us with balls in, in the six yard box or the AR, whether it's coming from a header, whether it's coming from a quarter kick, 
we, we just don't do a good enough job of really clearing our lines. And, you know, Gazaniga made some great saves yesterday. I mean, you know, you'd be hard pressed to really fault him or say that Rodak, you know, Rodak, who played really well the other night against Leeds, we, we, we're really lucky as a side note to have two top quality keepers on our side. Gazaniga made some ridiculous, like sort of uh, instinct saves. Uh, but the problem is, is that we don't we don't clear our lines. We don't clean that out. And it's it, it's bitten us for a few years now. I don't put that on Reem. I think Tosin maybe doesn't do quite a good enough job of, of cleaning that out. Um, and, and, it, and it does concern me going forward. Callus's throw settles down there and, you know, that they should have done a lot better and a, and a better striker probably finishes that. If that's Ivan Tony, you know, if Brentford's still down with us, he finishes that. Um, and, and so going forward... You know, if I'm Silva, I, I'd be really concerned, particularly if we can't put games away. If we're scoring three goals a game, we get that second goal, you know, maybe you have a little more of slack. But if we, we've got to win some of these one nil games and we've just not figured out a way to do that. I think the most concerning thing is, is when you look at it is that Bristol changed the game by changing to a back three. They, they made a substitution that surprised me a little bit, um, bringing on Nathan Baker and they, and they moved to a back three. And that completely changed it. They, they, they managed to stretch us much wider and they managed to get much more of an influence out wide um and we didn't adapt to it which i thought was odd because we played against the same system against stoke and the same system against birmingham and we dealt with it really really well um you know tosin was dominant and in both of those games he was able to 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 be commanding in the area but it seems like that change on the fly sort of threw us and we didn't really adapt to it quick enough um and then after bristol got their goal it sort of we sort of realized oh hang on like we know how to play against this and we started getting in behind them in behind the, the high wing backs but I think that that period where we didn't adapt is where we lost our, our two points in this game and that's just a slight concern for me I completely agree with that I think that that substitution in itself changed the whole of the game and I think that the weird part is is when you bring on a when you bring on a center back it's obviously seen sometimes as quite negative but actually it gave Bristol City another lease of life because their fullbacks were being pinged back quite quite dramatically by Wilson and Cabano on either side, it really started to push them back and push them in field a little bit. And that started to open up the channels. And one thing I actually said to you, Sammy, um, probably about halfway through the first half, I just turned to you and I was like, I'm so glad that Fulham don't play those pointless balls down the channel all the time. And then it was those sort of balls that were really starting to give us that trouble in that second half when they changed to the back three. And I just thought that, you know, as Dan rightly said, we played against this system, and you rightly said, we played against this system twice. We know how to field this system. Why did it take us that long to adapt? And I think that at times there will be, similar to Parker, where Marco Silva just isn't making these decisions quick enough. I also do think that the players need to have this understanding of what they're doing on the fly as well. Uh, The communication maybe needs to be slightly better, but I mean... I think when we turned it around, we were much the better side and we could easily have had two or three goals in that, that last sort of 10, 10, 15 minutes. It's also hard to, like, you can blame Silva for not making these on the fly. Mm. But unlike Scott Parker, and I said this in the group at the time, like he he does make those two halftime substitutions, which which you sort of probably not see from Scott, you know, at, at any time. That was the difference in that moment. So, you know, some of this is Silva... But at the same time, you also wonder how much of this is the players needing to take a bit of responsibility. Um, and, and we had so many opportunities. Mitrovic's volley that goes off the crossbar was just, you know, ridiculous. And, and I'm sure you can talk about a hundred others. Well, it, it, it was clear, wasn't it, that the Bristol City 
pressure was coming. They missed uh, a couple of good chances before they equalised. There was a, a close range header which went over the bar and it it did feel and a bit inevitable. But then it was always more frustrating that, as you say, once they equalised, suddenly Fulham were unbelievable against the back three because we really can exploit that. It's frustrating that in that kind of 70 to 80 minute mark that Fulham didn't go, oh, oh they're back to back three. We know how to deal with this. We kind of were just going through the motions and letting the pressure come onto us without taking the game to Bristol, trying to get that second goal. Of course, we were trying to get the second goal, but you could see how many chances we created in three minutes of injury time. Imagine if we'd been doing that since the kind of 70th minute when Bristol City made that substitution. It probably would have eventually. I know we were snatching at chances. It would have been 2-0 and, and dead and buried. But I mean, this is a common thing in football that you you concede a goal and oh and suddenly now we play play good football you know it happens all the time but it was it almost more infuriating the fact that actually we learned suddenly oh yeah we we can go and score a second goal and there was maybe a bit of I don't know if it's naivety I don't know if it's just just a bit I, of passiveness almost that Fulham kind of, of let that game slide a bit I think it's just like I feel in t- and times it's just a lack of game management from Fulham and a little bit of naivety on our part is it like. When you made that, when they made that substitution, the ball didn't really go out of play for like five minutes afterwards. And if you're Fulham and you feel like you're on your back foot, right, just kick the fucking ball out. Just give yourself thirty seconds, forty-five seconds, just to regroup. Um, you know, just get your heads in the game. Allow the coach to bring a message on or something like that. Just pump the ball long or or try and try and give yourself half a minute or so in possession just to try and go through the motions. Try and understand how the other team is setting up. And that's where I think that some of this some of the team and some of the players out there are quite naive but at the same time it's nice because we do have such a young squad that they will grow into the season as you go ahead I mean one thing we already we started to see was we were sort of managing the time much better before their substitution and then like we were slowing stuff down we were give, like giving the ball back quite slowly and I do like that about Fulham but I think that there is an element of naivety and also there's an element of arrogance about Fulham but I think the, the arrogance is a good thing because I think that the players always believe that they can win and they yeah. can win any game in this league right but you have to have game management where if you are on the back foot you are being pummeled for the next, like two or three minutes just give yourself a break just get the ball out it's fine the Ben Jarman school I- of centre-back <laughs> <laughs> I thought our game management weirdly as well it, it improved in the moment after we conceded, because yeah. actually we were very smart in, I mean, the ground got whipped up, the home fans were up, they were ready, mm. having been pretty docile for most of the game. Yeah. Um, and actually we just took the sting out of the game for about a minute and a half, two minutes. We just slowed the game right down. And it just begs the question, why, yeah, why, why did we take do that? conceding to, to have that game management? It's a frustrating one, Nathan, as well. The way the goal came about, look, I think that pressure was coming and there's not much you can analyse about their goal. Apart from one, it's clearly offside and and I can't quite see how a linesman didn't see that. There was three or four Bristol City players in an offside position. But two, I feel like a bit of credit needs to go to Casey Palmer because that's a ridiculous angle he scored from. It's needle in a haystack stuff. I looked at that in the ground and thought, Gazaniga saved that. It's probably going out for a corner. He might get to this, but that's 100% hitting the side netting. For him to actually bend his foot around around like that, it was impressive, but ultimately, if that's in the Prem, it's not even one of those offsides where people are, are, are getting angry because it's a toe offside. It's one of those where the, like line, the, Ivan, the line's another yard. It's like the Ivan Tony offside last night where Brentford thought they had gone ahead, you know, against Liverpool, which we don't really want to talk about that game too much. But, you know, yeah, it was one of the, it was clearly offsides. 
it is a great finish. I mean, again, I just want to say it. Gazaniga made some ridiculous saves in the lead up to that. And I, it actually, when he, when he had saved one where it's an instinct header and he throws his hand back and, and pushes it over, that should have gone in. But when he, when he made that first save that ends up being the goal, it was like, gosh, oh, shit, we, 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 you know, we, we've dodged a bullet here. Then it obviously, you know, goes back in. We, we're not clearing our lines. And then it is, it is a ridiculous finish. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's one of those goals that you, 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 it's just going to happen. It's the championship. If it's if it's ninety minutes of, of sort of craziness, they're going to they're going to get a, a few chances like that. And you know their their striker, unfortunately, it didn't fall to Chris Martin. If if that falls to Chris Martin right there, you know we're, we're, we've got three points and we're all feeling much better today. And Sammy's tweets are much happier. Um, <laughs> but you know, poor Reese doesn't get the the game that, that he deserved. Unfortunately, it doesn't fall to Chris Martin. Um, so, you know, the, the real lesson of the, and the moral of the story is we, we need to clear our lines. We need to be a bit smarter, but we also just got to put the ball in the back of the net and, mm. and, and, and finish it. And, and, you know, that goes early in the game where Ottawa has a tame shot instead of passing it to Chalaba, you know, Wilson doesn't finish. I think Cabado misses a breakaway. Doesn't, he doesn't go around the keeper. I mean, just the number of chances that we split them wide open and you have to think this is where Fabio, you know, is, this is where he is just far better than his championship status because he's putting those things away earlier in the year. And you have to think if one of those falls to him instead of Ottawa, who, despite all that, I actually have a lot of love for Ottawa. I think he's developing into a really good player, and I think he he will continue to grow. I, I have a lot of time for him. His finishing needs a little bit of work. Um, but, if, but if those fall to Fabio, we, we finish those. I think actually on another day, Wilson probably finishes them as well because he's got that kind of striker's edge. So, uh, you know, the moral of the story, we just can't get to 1-0 70 minutes in. That was the Wilson chance absolutely bent my brain. I, I, could, I, could not <laughs> get my, I couldn't get my head around that. I was fuming at the ground. Me and Jack were just perplectic. Like, we were beside ourselves when he's through on goal and he tries to cut it back. Just shoot, man. Like, you have the angle. Right or left footed, you can definitely roof that. He's got the talent. I, I think yeah, this is where just, we're, we're on, a goal for each sort of those players away mm. from going and winning these games sort of three or four nil. Yeah. If Harry Wilson had maybe bagged against Reading, yeah. he's through on goal there and he shoots and he probably scores. Yeah. And I think that's just where our confidence has just dropped a little bit because we started snatching at chances and it sort of just, it, it pushes itself further on. So I think if, if, if he does shoot there and he scores, then, you know, things change. Um, so I think if we can get him a goal, if we can get Bobby a goal, then hopefully we'll start putting these chances away because finishing is such a confidence thing because it's so in, yeah. intuitive and instinctive. And when you're second guessing yourself, it just gets harder and harder. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Right, we're going to take a quick break. And afterwards, we've got some of your questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here, and I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Wagwan. Dan Cook. Hi, Sammy. And Nathan Martin. USA. Is that, is that how slow enough for No, it's you? like USA. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> 
Honestly, <laughs> blew my brain. It's the best thing about the weekend. All right, let's get into some questions then. Uh, thank you for sending them in. Uh, first is from Will of the People at the Will Hutton, who says, can we get an update on Carvalho? He's been nearly there on his injury for a while now. A small, conspirational part of my brain wonders whether it has something to do with his contract and whether Marco Silva's keeping him off um, being displayed in a metaphorical shop window. Tell me I'm being silly. Who wants to tell Will he's being silly? Being silly, mate. Being silly. Dan, is he being silly? He's being silly. Uh, Are we sure though? Like it is. I I think one thing people that are forgetting here is is that because a toe sounds like an insignificant thing, it sounds like a bit of a made up injury, but try running with a toe that is really sore and then like then revisit this discussion. And, and Marco Silva is not Jose Mourinho who would tell you if you had a broken toe, you know, this is no big deal. Just, you know, as he did with Luke Shaw, like this is a huge thing. And, and particularly for this player, you know, he, he's young. He's got this, the sky's the limit. And Fulham has always, you know, tried to take care of the young players, not to, to, to rush the back. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any great dark conspiracy, you know, Although, you know, who, who, who knows? But we were, who we were in the same similar situation with Zambo during the transfer window in the sense where there was this conversation, is he staying, is he going? And Marcus Silva was actually quite upfront about it and said, he didn't play, he didn't start today because at the moment he doesn't want to be at the club and I'm not playing him because of that. And he's shown that he's going to be honest about those things. So I don't think there's any reason to think that he's, he's making up a toe injury. Yeah, I think with with Fab as well. If you if you have an injury like that, it needs to be managed back. I mean, toe injuries are one of those injuries that, as you say, they can sound insignificant, but if you let them balloon and you let them linger away, it can actually have quite a detrimental f- effect on your career in the long term. And he's eighteen years old, and we need to have him back. I mean, one of the good thing is we saw from all the pictures coming out on Friday that he is back in training, so it won't be long before he's back on the pitch. And I, I guess for all of you Americans and all your fancy owners. Last year, I had Devontae Adams. No, year before last, I had Devontae <laughs> Adams in my fantasy team. He had turf toe for 12 weeks. 12 weeks, he had a sore toe and he didn't play. Unbelievable. But one thing I would just, like, we didn't talk about too much in the game because it's just like a, it's a, a kind of a constant about how bad championship referees are. And that's another reason, like Wilson, Fabio, all these guys take an absolute yeah. hammering when they're on the Wilson pitch. Wilson took so, hammering yesterday as well. Yeah, didn't yeah. The number of just fouls. Although to be fair, Chalaba could have easily had a, two yellows and, mm-hmm. and got sent off. But like you know, with Fabio, like these games, we, we need to make sure that, that these guys are, are completely fit because all you need is for them to go into a challenge at seventy five percent and and properly hurt themselves and be out for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask, what's the more innocuous Fulham injury? We've got uh, Fabio Carvalho's toe injury what about Yari Littmanen's ear injury back uh, back in 2008 the, mo- the 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 holy grail of innocuous injuries I just googled it there's still an article on the mail online Fulham striker Yari Littmanen has sustained an ear injury and will miss Saturday's Barclays Premier League clash at Manchester City <laughs> Littmanen who had just recovered from a groin problem was struck by the ball in training and is out for another week he was terrible, wasn't he, for us? Maybe, maybe the great escape wouldn't have happened because that's the that's the Manchester City game. That's the comeback from two 0 down. Maybe this is this is your butterfly effect moment right here. Yeah. The ear leads to everything. Yari Lipman's ear injury saved Fulham. We wouldn't have Ashton got to the European Kutcher. final. Ashton Kutcher played Yari Lipman when yeah. he was on loan. <laughs> <laughs> it all it 
all transcended on that one moment where Lumen got an ear injury. Um, Drexian Wave Jumper says, "How much can we attribute the clear dip of form with the absence of Carvalho and Tete? How much of a cause for concern is this?" Now we've touched on Carvalho loads, so let's move on from him. Um, but I think the Kenny Tete one we've kind of forgotten, but. He was such an asset. I never forget that Middlesbrough game. He was unreal in that match. And I genuinely thought we had the next Cafu at right back um, going to play for us this season. Such a shame that he's been injured. And look, I like Dennis, but Dennis Adoy is not Kenny Tete. And, and I think that it is it is showing a little bit. And I, I do... I don't think he would be the answer to all our prayers. I don't think we'd be sat here on maximum points if it was Kenny Tete hadn't have been injured. But I do think maybe people are looking at Carvalho, but actually I think Tete's injury is a real blow to how we want to play. And you also think about like uh, for rep, rep the Americans, but Anthony Robinson, like what 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 happens with him on that side? It just that, that those sort of bursting runs. You, you, if you're able to complement those on either side, it just it opens up uh, and creates a, a huge amount of pressure. I think I think you obviously we're not going to pick up all the points if, if he's playing, but we're a much better side. He's just bigger. He's more physical. Um, he's got that speed. And, and yeah, I, I think it, it is a kind of a good shout of someone that we're, we're not appreciating his absence quite as much as we should be. I think what you miss actually a lot, I mean, his end product is clear, Kenny Tete. I mean, that's, that's a huge plus in his part. But his his actual mental side, his reading of the game, is huge and partially in a defensive sense but I, that's not where we're missing him it, it's going forward he is is so smart in the sense of if, am i going on the overlap am i going on the underlap when, when am i dropping off and receiving it a little bit deeper when am i tucking inside he's just a really smart footballer as Kenny Tete. he's outrageously good and we were always going to miss him and we were never going to really be able to replace him fully anyway but it, it does show and and when you know against Middlesbrough those first couple of games I, I was I took a mate to the game and I genuinely said this is the best right back the championship has ever seen and I may be wrong I might be forgetting someone exceptional but we we do miss Kenny and he was a key cog in this system because attacking wingbacks are a key cog in any silver system. I think that you see the runs Adoy make and look Adoy you know supports Wilson on the right hand side he did. So several times, particularly in the first half yesterday, I think it's that intelligence though. I think Adoy's runs are often fairly predictable. I like, I know where Dennis Adoy is going to go. He's going to overlap. He's going to give the option. He's going to do, he's going to be fine. As you say, Kenny Tete varies it up so much, the overlap, the underlap. And sometimes he doesn't overlap at all. He hangs back. And I think there's just a bit more nuance to his game than, than Dennis. And this is not shitting on Dennis. I think he's a great player and I think he's doing a fine job at right back. Um, but look, it's it's hard to replace someone of the quality of of of, of Kenny Tete. I mean, Dennis Adoy just needs to start doing the back thing again and similar stuff. He needs to vary it up a little bit, you know, a bit more back thing, Dennis. That's what we want to see. You did it in the first game. You spoiled us and we've never seen it come out since. Uh, ben, I'll ask you this one. Um, John yeah. Brooker asks, would it have been better to bring on Mooniz for Bobby Reid to increase the goal threat? I'm going to say no, purely because I think that Bobby Reid offered so much in that central pocket. I think he got in and around Mitrovic more than any player did in the first half. He gave us a, a real focal point aside of Mitrovic. And Mitrovic loves to play little one-twos off of Bobby. I think they understand each other really, really well. I think the one thing that you, you do if you bring Muniz on is you revert to four four two, And when you do that against the back three, it's just not going to work. I, I don't feel like you get enough coverage across the pitch and they can quite easily go uh, and 
directs the ball through the middle of the pitch. Whereas if you have a 10, it sort of becomes like an amalgamated three. Um, it also means that you have proper wingers, which means that they can keep their wing backs back. So I I personally don't think that Muniz would have been the right introduction there. I think that everyone wants to see him and, and I do too, because I think he's quite an interesting and exciting player. Obviously one that's come out of Brazil, uh, already scored quite a nice goal for us, um, albeit in a defeat. But um, I feel I feel like that would have been the wrong decision yesterday. Yes, it gives you two vocal focal points, but secondly, it takes away a lot of pace out the counter as well. And we were doing that; we were countering quite well. So yeah, yeah. I think also there was nothing wrong with Fulham's strategy in terms of mm. getting the winner yesterday. The strategy yeah. was unbelievable. The amount of chances we made, like Silver yeah. must be thinking, I can't do any more there. I got the game plan in that final 10, 13 minutes. Absolutely spot on, Dan. Like he can't control the amount, the, the chances that, that we missed. And so therefore, yeah, that's why I just can't see that Muniz Farid would have been a sensible suggestion because ultimately we should have come out of the game and won. Ultimately, we came out of the game and lost. We did lose the game. We lost. We lost it yesterday. I don't. I don't settle for points, Ben. We either win or we don't win. <laughs> no, I, I think it, this this is going to sound sort of counterintuitive and a bit ridiculous, but I think actually the Cavalera substitution worked really well if it wasn't for the fact that it was Ivan Cavalero the player. <laughs> um, like, it genuinely, I know it sounds ridiculous, but tactically it worked brilliantly because there was a couple of times that Cav got in behind and it was causing them real issues. The issue is that he doesn't have a whiff of end product. And there was, you know, the the casing point was he broke, he he got nicked the ball first on the flank, got into the edge of the area, unchallenged, was able to put a ball in and he hit the first man. And now that tactically, everything was right there apart from the end product. So I actually, I think the Cavalera substitution worked relatively well it's just the fact that it, I, I don't like beating Cav up every week, but I think he's just in a really, really bad place at the moment. And I think he could actually do with a little bit of a break from this team because he's, was, he's he's just fighting his way to try and find something to happen and it's just not yeah. working for him. I was talking to Jack um, a little bit throughout the second half and he turned around and said to me at one point, and I did nearly fall over, he said that actually he thought that Knockart would have been, had he, I don't think he was in the squad. He, he turned around and said he thought that Knockart would have been the better substitution had he been available because he was the only winger that will ultimately stretch a game that will have some sort of... Uh, Jack said end product. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I do feel I do feel like he has a point. There was there was a point where the game needed to be stretched, especially when it was at 1-0 to us because Bristol were coming back into it a little bit. But I, yeah, I do completely agree with you, Dan. I think that Cav just needs to relax into it. Like there's so much, like so many points in life where you just try and force it and it never works. The more you relax into it, the more things will work for you. And just, and like think about the, the, the Palmer goal for Bristol city, you know, if that's Cav in that moment, there's no way that, you know, that that's going, that's, that's going out of the stadium. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he had his own opportunity and he that hits volley. this volley. Yeah. yeah. The volley is just like, it, he'd that's just come on, hadn't he? He'd literally yeah, just come it, on and you were it, like, Oh, it, it Ben's on. right. It's like, you know, it's like playing tennis or something. He's like, don't try to hit too much power. Just, you know, just shape it and just, mm. you know, just, just, just try to put it in. And instead, you know, he, he just, just, just tries to thwack it and it just, it's not a, a drive down the fairway. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. That one killed me. That one absolutely killed me. I was like, he's come on. I was like, it's Cav. He's going to shut everyone up. No. Yeah. In fairness, you did go park. quite quiet after that. Did I? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You, you were I, devil. 
I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing and how many missed chances. Uh, the, the whole, by the time I think the third Mitrovic chance hit the bar, yeah. like, the, 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 the <laughs> away end, there was people just smashing jumpers against seats. It was just carnage. People just was like, what is this? What is happening? How have we missed so many chances? A uh, couple more questions then. Um, Ibs asks, uh, we did touch on this. I'll go to you on this one, Nathan. Um, did you guys love the balance between Harrison Reed and Seri in the middle? It gave us so much control and assurance. A potential Premier League partnership with Carvalho in front of them? Yes. I mean, I, th- I think we, we've said it multiple times. Uh, you know, sorry, Seri's resurgence under Silva is just simply sublime. I think, was that how oh, many wow. S's in a row? That was impressive. I was kind that of was halfway great. through, it just kept going. Uh, no, I was uh, reading lots of Henry Winter recently, haven't you? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've actually have red zone. I was a touch of the Cam Ramsey's there. The <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But no, Siri is playing just ex- exceptional football. I mean, and, and it's not just the sort of the, the champagne stuff that everyone was you know, touting him for, and we saw glimpses of when we were in the Premier League. What what makes me most happy about Sari is just seeing him track back, and seeing him shout at players, and seeing him slide in for tackles. It's it's doing everything that you have to do to be successful in the Championship, and, and ultimately, you know, I'd be love to have him in the Premier League if he's going to keep playing like this. You pair him with someone like Harrison Reed, uh, and I, I I think thing you know it's it's a it's a brilliant partnership. Reed was they had they'd kind of no answer for Reed. He was just a terrier, um, you know, hoovering around the pitch, and and that then allows Sari to 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 create a bit more, and we get to have some of that attacking you know flair that that he does have. And I actually think Sari has some of that end product. And so if you take a little bit of pressure off of him, then we have one more potential goal scorer who's able to come up and and make it make a difference. On this, we have a separate question from Daniel, which is kind of opposite to what uh, Ib says. Um, I'll go to you on this one, Dan. He says, do you think swapping Reed and Seri's positions would have solved half our problems? It would have given us more control in midfield. And whilst Reed did well, I felt off the ball in the box. He got in the way and has no end product, while Seri isn't as good defensively. I would argue that's a potentially unpopular opinion, but I, I can see the logic in it. I'd actually, weirdly enough, I'd say it's sort of a logical thought to think that we've often seen Harrison Reed as that sort of screen, um, as the deepest midfielder he's played for us. He's played really well there. Um, but I actually think that the balance is, is really good as it is, because what you get is that you allow Seri to distribute. And he is fantastic about just If you watch him play, that he is always looking to pick up a little bit of space uh, in between usually that first press and that, that that midfield line. And then he always knows where he's planning on them to distribute that ball. And having someone who takes the play over like that at the base is just, it's a, it's a pleasure to watch. It's sort of reminiscent of sort of what K-Mac used to do for us in that sense of just being that, if we use our American terms, we've got a quarterback in there. And then what you get with Harrison Reed is that you can, get him using his dynamism and just flitting about and, and being a bit of a nuisance. He actually he is a bit of a nuisance when he's in that more sort of eight role because he just doesn't give anything up. And whilst his, uh, I do have issues with him in the final third because he's just out of everyone we have in the midfield, he is the least instinctive goal scorer. I, I don't think I've ever seen him take a decent shot, potentially. I think actually he took one at Everton away. Yes, um, that's what I was def- He can definitely work on that area of his game, but I think the balance as we have it now, I really like it. And I, I think that whilst it does can leave us open, you have that dynamism Harrison Reed, you know that he is going to be able to track back and help Serie out. So I like it as it is. Um, one final question. This one is from Neil Stewart, Ben. He says, when do we start to panic? We don't. I mean... 
At what point, though? At what point? We don't. We don't need to. If we're 12 at Christmas, what if we're 12 at Christmas? We're class. Doesn't matter. (laughs) No, I think, I think, yes, like yesterday, like don't press the panic button after yesterday. Like we don't need to. Like you're going to get games where you create loads and loads of chances and you, and you don't put them all away. But ultimately on the other side, you're going to get loads of games where you, you create two chances and you score two goals. Like Fulham have enough in the tank to do well this season and at the very least be in the playoffs. If everything comes together, which we know it haven't, we've seen glimpses of it at the start of this year, it's automatic promotion and it's hands down us and West Brom that are two of the best teams in the division. Like, yeah, Cov have had a great start. Yeah, QPR have had a decent start. Yeah, there are good teams out there that have got good players and they have talented managers, right? But ultimately, this is a two, this is going to be a two team league and Fulham are going to be one of them. It's just a case of getting all the cogs to figure themselves out. And I think we saw enough in the second half yesterday to understand that those cogs aren't far away from working together seamlessly. I mean, you just don't, I, I don't panic. We're like nine games in. We can't be panicking now. We've got 30 odd left and we've got more than enough to get through the season. So yeah, don't panic. I do wonder, Dan, if you look at the fixtures that are coming up in October, you know, they're starting to get a little bit tougher, right? We've had this quite nice start and maybe Fulham haven't taken advantage of it as much as maybe we should have. But I'm looking at that that QPR game. We've got Cardiff City. I know they're on a bad run and, and Ben Brewis and Diaz absolutely Baller. schooled them yesterday. And then you've got West Brom at the end of the month. I'm really excited to see Fulham go up against these teams that, you know, should technically on paper give us much more of a game. And I really think that Fulham will thrive in those in those bigger, more difficult games. Actually, I, I couldn't agree more, um, apart from the West Brom one, which I'll touch on in a second. But I think that in terms of the teams we've got coming up, we're looking at coming up against teams who are a bit more expansive. You know, we're coming against a Swansea team that like to try and dominate possession. Um, you've got a, a Coventry team who, who, who try and play on the deck, a QPR team that are incredibly expansive. And that sort of plays into our hands because it means that we're not trying to break through a low block, which has been our, a massive problem for us against Reading. It was a problem for us against Blackpool and it was again against Bristol in the first half. And so I think it just allows us actually to use our quality in those situations. When you've got a team that try and go toe-to-toe with you, if, you are, if, you, if you've got individual players who are better, in general, that's going to tell. So if a team tried to go and play Manchester City in the Premier League and they tried to go toe-to-toe with them, if we tried to do that, we wouldn't have a hope because they have the better individual players. But you see teams go to the Etihad and they nick a point because they're able to sit back in a low block and it's hard to break down. So I think that it does help us. West Brom, on the other hand, I think is going to be a pain of a fixture because they play, they are the complete antithesis of how we play, really. Um, And and this isn't a, a slur on them. I think they're an incredibly exciting side. Um, and that's going to be our biggest test this season. I think it's going to be a tough one. But in terms of the, the games we've got coming up, I think it's actually good for us that we're coming up against teams who are going to let us, who are going to try and, and, and offer up a bit more of a fight in the attacking third and just maybe let us try and, uh, and run through them. Cool. Right, well, up next, we're going to preview Wednesday's game against Swansea City. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Ben, Dan and Nathan. Let's look ahead then to Swansea on Wednesday. Kind of the end of this mammoth run of games that Fulham have had, uh, where it's been Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Uh, and again, yep, yeah, Swansea come to Craven Cottage. Great memories of the last time that Swansea came to Craven Cottage on a weeknight when... Um, Mitrovic bags late, he missed the penalty, then we scored in the 92nd minute. It was one of the last games before COVID at home. The scenes in the Hammersmith end. Even George Singer, Ben, even George Singer absolutely lost. I was with him that game. No way. He went ballistic, shirt off, swinging it round his head. You you, you love to see it. That's Um, because our HD was above one for the first time all season. (laughs) He was like, we've done it. Yes, positive XG. Okay, um, Nathan, uh, this is a game that Fulham really need to get back to winning ways. Uh, Swansea have been stuttering a little bit under Russell Martin. They got their first home win on Saturday against Huddersfield. It was far from convincing. They're not the side that they were last year. And hopefully, as Dan said, a slightly more expansive side, a side that wants to play football. And I think this could be the game for Fulham just to get back to winning ways. And that would be really, really nice. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that the, the, this this should be it. We should start out, you know, fast out of the gates. Uh, the only caution was just going back through their, their fixtures. Both of their wins are, are 1-0 wins where they score in the first 20 minutes and, 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 you know, hold on. They've obviously not played against us. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it is one of those things where, uh, you know, we, we do need that early goal. We need something to, to sort of settle things down. Um, and, I, and I think if we get the early goal, I, I think we will kill it off. I, I don't think there'll be an issue there. Um, but I think that if we, we let them stay in it, you leave the door open and they do get a goal, they're going to sit back and defend like the Dickens. And I think we will have all kinds of, uh, of trouble. So, you know, this this should be exactly what the doctor ordered. Um, Silva, you know, get gets 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 the formation right. And, and we hopefully, you know, come out fast and strong and, and tear them open. Um, because we, we do have a bunch of really tough fixtures coming up. And, you know, if, if at the end of October uh, we're, we're not picking up a few more points, then then maybe we start at least moving to to uh, Amber Green or, or, or whatever the sort of code might be for, for starting to wonder about uh, uh, <laughs> um, well, not, not, not panicking, but, uh, but being slightly concerned. The government has dropped the traffic light system, but Nathan has full on picked it up for Fulham FC. Um, ben, we've been rotating a little bit in the last few weeks. Um, do you see any rotation coming in for the Swansea game? You'd imagine that maybe Silver might look to keep that Seri Reed partnership going. I actually think I'd quite like to see a Seri Reed partnership just blossoming there in the middle of the pitch. I think that it offers so much for us in dist- in and out of possession that we'd be mad to almost discard it. I know earlier on Nathan said he really loves Josh Onomer and I'm still three years in and I still can't decide what Josh Onomer does. I do like him. I think obviously he's got tech like Onomer. You know, you don't get into a song by AJ Tracy without being decent at football. But (laughs) I mean, I can't work him out. I really can't. I think his first touch is brilliant. I think that after that, I think that he lacks a little bit of confidence. He always looks like he's never matched sharp, but I don't know whether that's just me. Um, But yeah, I think that... um, 
having Surrey and Reed in there would be brilliant. Um, one thing I, I do actually really like Russell Martin as a manager. I think that last year MK Dons produced some brilliant football. Uh, obviously, one of our ex-players was in the heart of that midfield that produced so much good football for MK Dons in Matt O'Reilly. And I think that he really blossomed under Russell Martin and they played some brilliant football. So I do think there is an element of Swansea that you have to be very, very much aware of. And um, when you lo- lose someone like Andre Ayew, uh, a player of that calibre in this league, obviously it's going to hit you hard. But um, uh, that being said, it almost screams 92nd minute uh, Grimes winner, doesn't it? Because he was at Craven Cottage for half of transfer deadline day. So yeah. look forward to that one, guys. Um, Dan, obviously Matt Grimes is a player that we were linked to all summer. I thought it was inevitable that we were going to sign him in the end. I was really shocked actually when we did kind of plump for Chalibur and it did look like kind of a straight decision. Are we going to pay the money for Grimes or are we going to go for Chalibur? And we seemed like we got such a good deal on Chalibur. It seems that silly to pass it up really. Um, it does have a Grimes goal, uh, a little bit written in destiny. It does. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, the risk of sticking my neck out here. This is, I, I, having seen Swansea this season, whilst Russell Martin is, is, is I, I think, as Ben said, he's, he's a very exciting manager and he's very intent on playing really good football. And he's actually been quite progressive with the way he's played. He's brought new ideas. Swansea haven't really quite bought into it yet. And they had just picked up their second win. In their first win, uh, it all kicked off a little bit after the game because Russell Martin suggested that the players actually went AWOL and sort of started doing their own thing because they didn't quite buy into the system and they started playing in their own way. Um, and I think that this is, is actually a good chance that if if we can, as Nathan said, get an early goal against... I think we're going to see a different side to Fulham on Wednesday because I think Swansea are going to try and dominate the ball. They have done all season. Um, they've, they've got the highest percentage possession on average this season by a, a fair distance. Um, if we can get an early goal and, and start getting players like Harry Wilson and Bobby Reid in behind and causing Swansea issues, I think we could see a little bit of turmoil on the pitch from them because they don't think that's the right way to play against a team like us. So I think that this is actually a really good opportunity for us. And whilst they are quite a good side with a good manager, it, they've sort of not, there's not that cohesion there yet. And it's quite a good time to play them, I think. So I think I, I, I think this could be the game where we get ourselves back on track and maybe get more than a couple of goals. Here we go. Dan Cook said it first. <laughs> I can't believe I've just said that. You want to say on a podcast, I think Fulham will win this game, but you do it on a Fulham podcast and something feels alien about it. So so well done for not giving the kind of like standard podcast answer of, oh, it'll be a tough game. Maybe they'll come. You know, you stuck your neck out on the line. I don't think it's a crime. So we'll see what happens on, see what happens on Wednesday. I just think we're well suited to playing against this Swansea side. Well, I very much hope so. And we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Uh, Dan, the last thing you need to do is stick your head above the parapet again and pick the podcast name. So what are you going to go for? I think we have to go for um, a moment that I will, I will never forget, I think, for when it will long live in the memory beyond that one or draw. Um, but Reese Porter's blow eye on me. Yeah, I, I think it's the uh, it's the, it's the best name uh, by far um, that that came from the three word reviews. And as you say, Dan, you know I've been to see three one or draws at, at Bristol City. Uh, they all do blend into one another, and I imagine they will in five or six years' time. But hopefully, that moment there uh, will will live much longer than the memory of of yesterday's game. So well done, Reese. Thank you again for introducing the podcast today, and um, that was a really nice touch. And thank you to his mum Kelly for organising that. And yeah, that's it 
it for the podcast today. Uh, myself, Jack and Peter will be back on Thursday, the Thursday Club, reviewing uh, Wednesday's game against Swansea City and then looking ahead to Saturday's tough trip up to Cov. We'll also be talking uh, all about Jimmy Hill Day because that's uh, what the game has been designated as on Saturday up in Coventry. Our first meeting with Coventry City since the 60s. It's, an, it's one of those mad, weird things about football and how Fulham have just managed to avoid playing the Coventry for such a long time. So uh, it'll be fun to preview that one. Uh, and yeah, thank you very much to my guest today, Dan Cook. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sammy. Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Sammy. And USA, Nathan Martin. Thank you very much. Uh, good to see everybody. That's three points, three points. Come on, we need three. Yeah, exactly. Plus three on Wednesday, please. Have a good week. Come on, you whites.